0: The title of our message today asks a simple but a profound question about the Lord Jesus. It asks, what manner of man is this man that we call God? What manner of man is this man that we call God? Now, I've asked us to consider that question on other occasions recently in different messages. And I'd like for us to consider it again today. Because within the minds and within the preaching and the teaching of so many teachers and preachers in so many of the church settings and also the Christian organizations out there, the God that we profess to believe in can and does often take on many different forms, different manners of being. And I'm not just talking about the pagan religions. I'm talking about Christianity. It takes on different forms and manners. Because the God that so many people believe that they're worshiping is different. But He's not. He's not. As I've pondered the reality of what I'm saying, and as I've considered the Scripture passage that we'll study here today, given here in the book of Luke, I'm reminded once again of the words that the Lord gave us in the book of Isaiah. And I've given these to us in the past, just recently. They're in chapter 44 of the book of Isaiah, I believe they're worthy of repeating. The occasion that's spoken about there in chapter 44 of Isaiah is one where a man went out into the forest and he cut down a tree. And from that tree, he used a portion of the wood for firewood. But another portion he carved out and he fashioned himself an idol. He then placed that idol before him and he bowed down and prayed to it saying, You are my God, save me. Now how foolish that probably sounds to most of us here today. Can a block of wood save a person's soul? But folks, listen, sadly, as I was saying a moment ago, within the religious community of today, that kind of mindset is exactly what God is warning about here in the book of Isaiah. So many, many people are doing this very thing, fashioning within their minds who they want God to be. And then they place their trust in that made-up God to then meet their needs, even for an eternity. Unfortunately, most of them really don't know who God is simply because they don't spend the time to read and to study the truths that are found within their Bible, that tell tells them and tells us who God really is. Now, may I repeat that again? Because it's so important. Too often it seems that many, even very sincere Christians, very sincere Christians, they imagine who they think they want God to be. Especially a God who is ever present just to serve and to meet their personal needs, but only when they want to call on Him. Not necessarily all of the time because we want to get caught up in things that we don't necessarily want Him to be present for. But it's this God that's made up in their minds to meet their personal needs. And they believe that's who God really is. And then also, to make themselves feel confident in the God that they've invented, they gather to themselves preachers and teachers who believe as they do, that tickle their ears, the scripture says, that tickle their ears with comforting sermons that they like to hear. But folks, listen, that is not the right path to take to the Lord Jesus. Thankfully, here today, within just a few simple words, we'll find out who God really is. Here in these words, we'll read about one, the, the one living and true God the Lord Jesus. And when we do, folks, our hearts and our minds ought to ask the same question that those disciples asked and then express our own wonderment as the disciples did when they said, what manner of man is this who can speak to the winds and the waves and they'll obey Him? Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 8. Read along with me. Here we find this incident where there's a life-threatening incident taking place and we'll see how the God of glory, the Lord Jesus the real God dealt with that life threatening incident with just a few words of his mouth listen to these words, this is verse 22 of chapter 8 of the book of Luke now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them let us cross over to the other side of the lake and they launched out And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water. And they were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased. And there was a calm. And then he said to them, to his disciples, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying one to another, Who can this be for he commands even the winds and the waves of the sea and they obey him. And he said essentially the same words over in the book of Mark, the same incident where he said, What manner of man is this who can even speak to the winds and the waves of the sea and they obey him? What really is the manner of this man, the Lord Jesus? Because he truly is, folks not of the same manner as you or me or any other of those people on the face of this earth, even those those men, even there in that boat with Him. There's something very different about Jesus. And when you walk out of here today, I want you to know what that difference is. Now, neither you nor I nor any other man or woman will ever have the power like that was within the Lord Jesus who could speak to winds and to waves and, and they would obey Him. We have no power over any form or part of nature. Although we were commanded there in the book of Genesis to go and have dominion over the earth. But it's not of the same kind of dominion that the Lord Jesus was exercising here. Because our abilities can never reach to that limit. Yes, yes, Jesus was just like you and me in His humanity. yes. But listen, just one step, one small step beyond His humanity was an essence like no other. There deep within His being abided the very essence of God the Father, the Almighty God, the great I Am, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. In John chapter 10, Jesus said these words, very simple, but their truth. I and the father are one. And Jesus said on other occasions within these gospels that he was the great I am. Also in Colossians chapter one, we read these words. Listen, this is Colossians chapter one, verse 15. He, the Lord Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For by Him, listen to these words, for by Him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Do you hear those words? The Lord Jesus is the creator of this very ground that we walk on today. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. By the way, those are the beings that reside in this other realm that's all around us every day. They're spoken about, especially there in Ephesians chapter 6. All things are created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. All things hold together. All things have their being. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have preeminence. Now, you and I can only imagine the awe and the wonder that took place within the hearts and the minds of those men as they watched Jesus simply rebuke the winds and the waves as if those winds and the waves were just disruptive, rebellious children at play. I love that thought. My wife and I were privileged to go out on this Sea of Galilee, and we were told that in a moment, a storm could suddenly settle in on that Sea of Galilee and it would be waves far taller than the boats. And Jesus would just speak to those winds and the waves as if they were disruptive children at play. And they ceased. It was just a simple word from his mouth was all it took. But we need to remember that Jesus' words, folks, are very different from ours. Our words are an expression of our thoughts and our hearts and our minds and they're a little more but Jesus's words are far more than that they had power within them a special power within them recall that his words can do so many very special things that ours cannot his words has had the ability listen his words have the ability to right at this moment reach deep within the depth of your mind your heart your soul And to see and to do things. Let me read those words for you. This is in Hebrews chapter 4. And I love these words. Because he's doing this right now. In your and my heart. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's able to pierce between bone and marrow. Soul and spirit. Discerning the thoughts and the intents of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. How often do you read in these Gospels where Jesus knew the thoughts of everybody around Him? And here, He knows your and my thoughts, and He knows the intents of our heart. The words of Jesus, this is the manner of man that this Jesus is. The words of Jesus have power that you and I, those men in the boat... No one else will be able to understand. We'll never be able to comprehend that. And also, we need to always remember that there's far more taking place in each of these events that are recorded here in these scriptures than are revealed with our simple reading of them. In this event, there is far more taking place than just some violent force of nature. How much do you know about nature? We know what we're told by the secular world. But folks, listen. Contrary to secular science, the real nature of nature is complex beyond that that scientific theory might try to comprehend. Nature is not, as they suggest, just some ecological system that was put into place mysteriously at the beginning of time and then it was left to itself to just to come and go of its own will. We tend to think that when we watch the Weather Channel, but that's not what's taking place. Folks, listen. Nature, like all the rest of creation, is sustained, is held together, moment by moment, within the person, the presence, and the power of Jesus Christ. Nature cannot live and move and have its being, or even continue for even a moment, without the personal, immediate, sustaining power of Jesus Christ. How often do you just look at those clouds that are passing over and you think thoughts like that? Well, is it going to rain? As if they control themselves. But that's not what's taking place. Listen to these words again that I read from Colossians chapter 1. There we're told that the Lord Jesus is before all things and in Him all things consist. That word consist. I mentioned a moment ago. It has its being. Consisting is having a being. Being. All things have their being within Christ. They're upheld, they're controlled by. And over in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, we're told that the Lord Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Those words tell us simply that all things, especially the things that we're reading about here today, the things that we and the scientists call nature, they're upheld. They're held up. They are controlled by, moment by moment, by the personal power and intervention of Jesus. Is that hard for you to understand? It is ever so difficult for me to understand, to comprehend. But if I'm going to believe the words in these scriptures, which are the only words of truth in existence, did you know that? Just because I think something doesn't make it true. This is truth. I make up all sorts of things that I want to believe is true. That's what we're talking about here. But the Lord is telling us in these words that nature, all of nature, all the events of nature are being controlled within the hands, the personal power of the Lord Jesus. And it's ever so difficult for us to understand, especially when we consider that within the sovereignty of God, we know from these scriptures that He also will allow other forces to exert themselves into things such as nature. If you've read the book of Job, you'll recall there that God allowed Satan and his fellow demons to intervene and to affect so many of the conditions of nature. Read about that. And from those words, we know and we can accept that behind some of the forces of the winds and the waves, sometimes behind the powerful outrage of a tornado, or a lightning storm, or a hurricane, can very often be the contemptuous design of Satan and his demonic forces of evil. That was what was taking place in the book of Job. All those principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness, they were at work to destroy everything that Job had. And we might never understand during this lifetime why God chose to give Satan and his demons that kind of power. I certainly don't. But I know that it's true because these scriptures tell us that it's true. And I believe them. It is just somehow within the righteous governance of this world that God has in place. And He is managing it moment by moment. But then thankfully also here in these words, God gives us this precious reminder that even though Satan has been granted such great and awful power, that Jesus' power is greater. It's greater. It doesn't even compare. And this demonstration with the winds and the waves was only just a small measure of the way that Jesus would later on then really show His power and His glory on there on the cross when He would utterly and thoroughly put Satan and his demons to shame. We're told that in Colossians chapter 2. He says there, having disarmed the powers and the authorities and the principalities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross and yes satan and his demons do have power folks they do they have power far greater than ours but their power is nothing again their power is nothing in comparison to the power of jesus and listen as we learn there in the book of job the power of satan and his demons that they exert is only by permission granted by the lord jesus They can only do what they have asked permission to do and obtain permission first to do. Hard for us to understand. Hard for me to understand. But it's true. And so you and I can only stand alongside of those awestruck disciples and exclaim with them, what manner of man? What manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves of the sea obey Him? What manner of man is this Jesus? Now, yes, again, in his humanity, Jesus was just like us in many ways. And yes, he was frail. He hungered and he thirsted. He could feel pain and fatigue and all those other limitations and weaknesses that our own human body endures. But listen, deep within that fragile humanity, Jesus also had something that raised him far above the level of humanity. He had the essence of the Almighty God. He had the very essence of the Almighty God residing within him. Now I might pause here for a moment and say that there are theologians out there, Bible scholars who disagree with what I'm saying here now. Some of those theologians believe that Jesus had completely set aside all of his might and all of his power as he came to be one of us. Some go so far as to say that the power that Jesus demonstrated there in rebuking those winds and the waves was solely based upon his faith. But listen, for myself, because I have read so many other scriptures that say what I'm saying right now, I can't help but believe that there is so much more within Jesus than simple faith. He had power that we don't understand. But now with that being said, we do know that God does place a very special importance and value on this matter of faith. Especially as it concerns you and me, because that's what you and I live by, It's faith. We don't have the power that He had. And so that which comes from us is by faith alone. And we see how important it is when Jesus quickly went to them there in the boat that day, while they were still in their panic, and He asked them, Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Faith is important to the Lord Jesus. Think with me for a moment about what Jesus asked there. Where is your faith? Was Jesus simply rebuking them for the fears that they had of perishing? Because he said, we're perishing. Or was Jesus perhaps saying something more that might apply to you and me and even these men later on? Through the power of faith, would they be able to do things that they had never done before? Things that they might not be able to imagine at that moment. Listen to these words. I love these words. These are such mysterious words. But oh, they have a promise in them. Listen. This is John chapter 14, where Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Folks, as for this moment in time when Jesus spoke to the winds and the waves and they obeyed his commands, I personally have no doubt that we're seeing Jesus in some of the same glory that He had throughout all of eternity past. And yes, He had set aside some of His power and His ability, but not all of it. Not all of it. I am personally blessed, as I imagine, what it must have been like to be one of those disciples that stood there in the boat and watched the God of glory command the winds and the waves, and they obeyed Him. And also, while nothing is mentioned here about whether Satan's involved in this Particular turmoil of the sea that day, even if Satan had been, the outcome would have been the same. The outcome would have been the same. Jesus is the Almighty God of all creation, and all creation responds and obeys the voice of the Lord Jesus. And may I add one other thought to this circumstance here at the Sea of Galilee? Folks, our God is intentional. He's always very intentional in everything that takes place on the earth. There are nothing No random events taking place, especially in incidents such as these. Some preachers have preached that this storm took place, and so Jesus simply took opportunity to give an object lesson to his disciples. But that's not what's taking place here, folks. Beneath the surface of these words, I am very comfortable in believing and trusting that God is providential, and this incident of this storm was orchestrated by him. It was orchestrated by Him to reveal to those disciples then and to you and me now that Jesus truly is who He says He is. He is our almighty, all-powerful God and He is trustworthy in every situation of life. And Jesus wants you and me to know that faith, real faith, carries with it the reality that He really does have a plan for each of our lives. A plan that's at work within any storm that's taking place in your life. Some of y'all have been through some storms. And are in the middle of that storm right now. Just as I am my wife. But he is faithful. In every storm of life. And if by faith during those stressful moments of the storm. You and I can remember. That God is far more powerful. Than any force that's against us. We will by faith. Then know that it's going to turn out exactly the way God planned it. it wasn't the way we planned it. Sometimes we don't like the way God plans things. I wanted our son to be with us today. You all want Greg to be with you. We don't always like the way God makes his plans and carries them out, but they are good. They're always good. And folks, when we get into those times of doubt and difficulty within those storms within our lives, we need to do the thing that these disciples did first. And that was to quickly remember that Jesus said, if you'll ask anything of me, I'll do it for you. And so those disciples, while they were in their panic that day, they did the best thing that they knew how. And that was they ran to Jesus. They ran to Jesus. And they called out to him to save them. And then you and I need to do that too. And he will surely save us from our storm. Now, eventually, hopefully, our faith will grow to the point that we'll not panic so quickly. We'll simply trust and rest in the assurance that Jesus can take care of our crisis. But until that day comes, folks, until that day comes, I invite you and me to continue to do this next best thing. And that is to run quickly to the Lord Jesus, making our cries and our petitions known to Him. And He'll help us. He'll help us. I need to close, but before we close, I'd like to go back for a moment to the question I asked right at the beginning. What manner of man is this who can simply speak to the winds and the waves of the sea and they obey His voice? What manner of man is this, Jesus? May I again strongly exhort and admonish each of us to not do as so much of this world seems to be doing And that is of imagining a God who exists solely for the purpose of meeting our own personal needs. And may we also not do as that man in the book of Isaiah did and and foolishly carve out an image of a person that meets our definitions of who we want God to be. And then expect that made up God to dutifully obey our prayers. Because none of that's God. None of that is the Lord Jesus. God is the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present creator and sustainer of all that exists. He's pure and he's holy and he's righteous. And all that he does is pure and holy and righteous. And he's a savior of those who give their hearts and lives to him. Your savior, if you'll give your heart and your life to him. He's the Lord over all things and all people. That is the manner of man that Jesus is. And the only part that you and I have to do within this whole process is to by faith simply surrender our hearts over to Him. To love Him. All else comes from Him and then back to Him again. So let me close with these words, some of my favorite words in these scriptures. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. For the Lord Jesus cries out to each of us, "Come unto me, all ye that are la- that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." Let's pray.